Welcome! You are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney-turned-alchemist and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. This show was created for courageous souls willing to step out of their comfort zone and design a new way of life. You'll gain inspired midlife wisdom from those who have done it as we share experiences, strategies, and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen, and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Our topic today is paying the price, how to take control of your cash flow. And we know that inflation is really running rampant right now. And there doesn't appear to be any end in sight. In fact, they really think that it's going to be getting worse. And so I thought it would be a good time to really talk about how we can do more with less. And, you know, ponder, is it possible to create an abundant life in the midst of scarcity? I believe so. Um, although I do think not having a scarcity mindset does absolutely help, but you've got to be willing to pay the price. And we can become cheap, we can, you know, be penny pinchers, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's a good option because being cheap, even if that you are able to accumulate wealth, then you've established this habit of being cheap. And uh, some of my mentors always taught, one of the things you can do is always tip like a rich man, rich woman. If you uh, can afford to go out to dinner, then you can afford the tip. I was, it's interesting. I just had this conversation uh, with Maria, uh, one of the restaurant owners on the island about a group that came in and, you know, loved everything and, and left like a 5% tip and she had good for her. She actually had a conversation with them about that, but um, it's, it's sort of, an interesting uh, concept when you, when you think about that. And I believe there are much better options. And so that's what we're going to dive into this week. And I'm reminded once again, I think I mentioned this uh, early on in the, the second quarter when we started this topic, is a quote from Warren Buffett, the, the richest men in the world. I don't know if he's still the, the richest, but no, I think Elon is. But anyway, Warren Buffett says, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. And I couldn't agree with that more. And if we think about what's transpired, even just the past few months, um, certainly the last few, uh, last year, trillions of dollars have been lost recently. And that happened, this isn't the first time that's happened, right? That happened in a big way in the years between 2000 and 2003. I remember I was practicing law at the time and I was doing securities law. That was the, the dot-com, dot-bomb era, right? Why is that? And the answer is it's it's easy. It was easy money. And people are really drawn to easy answers. And I'm also reminded of a, a mentor of ours, um, used to love, I love the saying, and I really believe it's true. Uh, uh, John Addison, a, a great motivational speaker, 
And I, I still enjoy listening to him. He's very funny. He uses humor a lot. And he always said, if it's easy, it's sleazy. And um, I can't tell you, you know, since since being out of the network marketing industry, I've, I've been approached many times and, and people always think that that's a good pitch to give me is, oh, you know, you can make all this money in a very short period of time. And, and that's when the red flags go up for me, right? If it, because I have adopted that as a core philosophy. If it's easy, it's sleazy. So I believe there's always a price to pay. And if you think about it, um, you know, it's even a, even a law of physics, you know, Newton even, even talked about this. There's always, uh, for every, um, action, there's a reaction, right? There's it's sort of the yin and yang. And if we think about having a good physique, right? Having, having, you know, being ripped, for example, that doesn't happen by accident. There's, it requires an investment. The price that you pay to be ripped is you go to the gym. Good health. There's a price, right? There's a, a price that you pay. If you want good health, you eat well and you exercise. And if you don't eat well and exercise and take care of yourself, the price that you pay is poor health. Wealth. I think the, the big thing here is everything has a price. And so if you want to accumulate wealth, you want, you need to learn what is the price and then be willing to pay it. And there are things, uh, other things I'll, I'll, I'll give you more examples so you can kind of understand this. Uh, you know, people, a lot of times will chase job security. Oh, I don't want to be a business owner because it's too risky. I want job security. So as we know, there's not a whole lot of job security these days, maybe now more because of, of the employment situation, but we know that ebbs and flows, right? It could just, just as easy if the economy tanks, uh, there, the jobs could disappear. And then pretty soon, you know, there are more people looking for work than there are jobs right now. We're in that opposite uh, phenomenon, but the price of seeking that security, that, that, uh, elusive job security is the loss of personal freedom. So that's the price you pay. You gain the paycheck, but you lose personal freedom. We know that the price of not studying in school is bad grades. And part of that price is it may give you limited options for furthering your education, for example. The price of financial illiteracy is that you make poor choices. You run the risk of being taken by others because you, you don't, you know, you're too trusting or, or you don't understand the fundamentals and inevitably poverty, right? If you're financially illiterate, it makes it hard to accumulate uh, any type of wealth or uh, financial independence or security. And one of the things I think that uh, maybe separates the um, the wealthy from from uh, the, the poor is that there's um, oftentimes this expectation that oh life should be easy and I I think one of the separators is uh, people who've accumulated wealth have for the most parts realized that life isn't easy and expecting that it should be doesn't 
really help us. It doesn't serve us. And instead, it can actually lead you into trouble. My brother, John, who I got to visit last month in Nebraska, is a ninth grade science teacher. And we had some really great conversations about what he does. We've, he's told me a little bit before. I'm sure he's a phenomenal teacher. And he teaches them much more than science. John's goal is actually to teach his kids how to critically think, in addition to learning about science, of course. And he said sometimes the, the kids will challenge them, as ninth graders will, and say, well, why do we have to learn this, right? And he explains the role that critical thinking plays in our adult life. And he'll actually kind of walk them through the, the logic of why they need to learn these things. And it's at the end of the day, it's so you don't get ripped off as an adult. You don't, you don't get taken. And I think we need, we need more of that, right? I think we definitely need more financial education in the school systems as well. That's a, a whole nother topic. But for the most part, if you decide as an adult that you want to take the easy route, and, you know, you can, you can go the route of, of a traditional financial planner and they're going to give you probably three pieces of advice. They're going to say, save money, which is not a bad thing. Uh, invest long term and diversify and cut up your credit cards, get out of debt, become debt free. Now, when they say invest long-term and diversify, what they're, what they're wanting you to invest in is paper assets. They're easy, right? You have mutual funds, for example. You don't want to think about stocks and have to know financial statements and be able to peek behind the curtain and see if a company is really doing well or not. Just, you know, put your money in a mutual fund. You're not going to get the return on investment as you will from other assets, but it's a easy, it's the easy way, right? Um, and in this case, it's not, <coughs> excuse me, easy money, right? It's not that. It's just a, a, a lazy person's way to invest, for example. Uh, cut up your credit cards, get out of debt. I mean, to some degree, it, it, I mean, if you don't know how to handle your credit cards, then that's probably a good idea. But how about this? How about you become more financially literate to understand how to properly use credit cards? I have all kinds of credit cards. We have all kinds of credit cards. We use points um, for free flights, uh, free hotel rooms, and we pay them off every month. So to me, and, and that's actually a big um, difference between how the wealthy and poor people use credit cards. The wealthy use credit cards a lot, but they use them differently from folks who, at the lower end of the economic spectrum who, you know, charge groceries, for example, and then you're making minimum payments and you can be paying a lot of uh, money at the end of the day uh, in interest, right? High interest, really kind of bad debt to carry balances on credit cards. So if you want to go up the, up the scale, 
A harder investment is real estate. You have to be a little bit more um, savvy when you're, you're talking about investing in real estate, but you do have the ability to use leverage. And this is where the good debt versus bad debt discussion comes in because being debt free is not, you know, theoretically a bad idea. However, debt can allow you to do things that you otherwise might not be able to do. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that a little bit later um, in our, in the talk here. And then going up the scale to sort of the hardest level is business. And it does require an education. It doesn't necessarily require a business education. Getting an MBA isn't necessarily going to teach you the difference between, you know, being a sole proprietor in an LLC or help you start a business from scratch and, and bring it up to a significant income level. What will more likely happen is they will teach you how to be a manager and, and, uh, oversee a budget in a large corporation. That's typically where the, 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 the best business education, in my opinion, is the practical experience that you gain. I was very fortunate early on in my career. I actually had the opportunity to run a guy's small property management company. Because he had inherited property from his dad, he wasn't really all that interested in the day-to-day. He wanted somebody else to do that. And I did that very early on in my career. And it was so valuable to me because I got to see really all aspects of that business and was involved in in all of the things, really the functions uh, within that business, um, except for the on-site managers. I was a property management company, and I but I did manage them. And that was probably one of the first management experiences I had in my career. So running someone else's business can be as valuable, um, if not more so, because right, it's not your capital at risk. So that was a, a real blessing. But I do know that my best clients were the ones who had made mistakes and paid for it. They paid the price for their mistakes. They didn't hire someone when they should have to make sure that things didn't happen. For example, I was reminded as, as I was looking through my all my wonderful books that I brought back from my storage unit in Florida, Robert Kiyosaki actually lost a multi-million dollar business because he didn't want to uh, spend $7,000 on an intellectual property attorney. So he lost his entire business because somebody just stole, ripped off his idea and it crashed his business. So we can be penny wise and pound foolish in business just as easily as we can on a personal basis. But it was those clients who had made a mistake like that, that said, you know, Don, I need your help to help make sure that I am protected in my business and I don't lose everything. I don't, I don't, you know, put my, my hard work at risk. We'll be back in a moment. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castellito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. 
With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit castelitocaribe.com www.castelitocaribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. Is it time to go? Are you starving for adventure and new experiences? Ready to lower your living costs and upgrade your quality of life? Do you long for the freedom to live anywhere and earn in paradise? You can live a happier, healthier, and more joyful life. Don't know where to start? Join us for our free workshop to plan your overseas beta test. You'll walk away with a step-by-step plan to turn pie-in-the-sky dreams into your pinch-me-is-this-real-reality and create a life you never need a vacation from. We'll help you plan and execute your perfect exit. Register at paradiseroadmap.com. Welcome back to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and we invite you to subscribe if you like what you hear. So instead of diversifying, I mean, like I said, the diversifying, there's nothing wrong with diversification. It's a good thing. But a lot of times your traditional financial planners, for them, that means diversifying within an asset class being paper assets, right? So stocks and bonds, paper, you're investing in paper and you're diversified in a bunch of different stocks. Well, that's not really diversification in my opinion. Instead of being focused on, oh, diversify, right? And how many different stocks do I have in my portfolio? There's some better options. And that is looking for patterns and trends. Things such as demographic shifts. We know that in the US, we have an aging population. We saw, we can look at Japan actually was way ahead of us. Their population is older still. So what are the patterns that you're seeing in these demographic shifts that are taking place. Debt levels, personal, institutional, sovereign. What are the the patterns and trends in that? We've seen some pension funds fail. Uh, We've seen municipalities file bankruptcy. We've seen a lot of uh, municipalities and, and businesses take on debt from COVID, the COVID money. And are they going to be able to pay it back? So being aware of these different things can help protect you from a financial standpoint and also provide you with opportunities if you are seeing some of these patterns and, um, you know, you look at the currency supply. I, I posted uh, yesterday, I was reading an article. Uh, actually, no, I was watching a video and they showed this chart in the video and I had to uh, look it up. I found it on the federal, the St. Louis Federal Reserve website. And it was, it's the consumer price index for all ur- urban consumers. It shows the purchasing power of the consumer dollar in, U- in the U.S. Um, and it's a city average. So you're, it takes you all the way back to 
golly, like the 1900s and till today. And it's astonishing. I mean, literally, you can see um, on the graph the purchasing power just nosedive. And one of the reasons I posted that, I, I get very frustrated uh, seeing all of these things on social media about how, oh, it's the president's fault because gas prices are high or because inflation is high. And the reality of it is it's not inflation is not caused from higher prices. Inflation is due to a loss of purchasing power. And the loss of purchasing power comes from an increase in the money supply. And it's, it's called creating currency out of thin air. And this has been going on for a very long time. This has been going on for decades. And so the idea that one administration or the other, one, uh, you know, color, a blue or a red makes a difference when it comes to some of these financial, uh, matters is, is really false. It's a false flag. And so that's where that financial education comes in. If you can increase your financial literacy, you can peek behind the curtain and really understand what's really going on uh, from a uh, macro level so you can make smarter choices about your finances on a micro level. So, you know, interest rates, obviously, we're seeing some fluctuation. Those, these are sort of the, the shifts, things, uh, patterns and trends that you want to to look at and be aware of. The reason it's it makes sense to study, you know, there's the saying, uh, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And as I mentioned earlier, we are seeing this loss of value in assets, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars in losses just in the past year on the stock market. And we saw it again 20 years ago. Can see again, these patterns and uh, trends that are happening. And when you study monetary and fiscal history, you, you can definitely see the pattern. And quite honestly, we're in our uncharted territory in global financial markets. We've never seen the debt levels as high as they are today when, you know, it appears we're on the verge of a recession. So it's going to be pretty interesting going forward. I mean, the way we got out of the last recession, the 2008 financial crash was through the creation of currency. And so the markets, the free market did did not ever get a chance to correct after the manipulation that took place. And so now it's deja vu all over again. It's, it's happening again. Those are just some thoughts kind of in the, the general sense. And so now I want to kind of turn to what can the average person do? As I mentioned in the beginning, you know, according to Warren Buffett, the best place to invest is in yourself. So educating yourself, you know, listening to this information, knowledge is power. And so in order to equip yourself to go forward and, and be able to make smart financial decisions, you want to be able to understand what's going on. As I mentioned, I came back with a suitcase full of books from my storage unit in Florida that hadn't been opened in four years. And I was delighted to see one of my favorites. It's a really, really old book. In fact, my copy is falling apart. I think I bought it used somewhere, used bookstore or something. 
Um, and it is The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clausen. And it's, it's been uh, reprinted multiple times. So there's different copyrights in the book, but the original one was published in 1926. It's almost a hundred year old, timeless, timeless book that I really enjoyed. It really uh, had a big impact on me when I read it um, more than two decades ago. I'll just give you a couple of the quotes from the beginning of it. He says, money is the medium by which earthly success is measured. I love that. Money makes possible the enjoyment of the best the earth affords. Money is plentiful for those who understand the simple laws which govern its acquisition. Money is governed today by the same laws which controlled it when prosperous men thronged the streets of Babylon 6,000 years ago. And I think that uh, is spot on as well. There are definitely timeless principles for creating wealth and prosperity. And we unfortunately don't often don't teach our young people uh, what these lessons are. So I highly recommend this book. I'll put a link to it in the show notes when um, and, and in the comments after I finish. But I just want to share with you um, a little bit from chapter three. Uh, it talks about seven cures for a lean purse. So if you're in uh, dealing with the inflation situation, trying to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I make ends meet? You know, my purse is lean these days. What can I do? So I just picked out three of the seven that I wanted to uh, share with you here before we close out today. The first one, and I think this is really so important, and I don't, I didn't understand this really um, until pretty late in my adult life because I didn't learn this as a child. My parents didn't do this. My dad, if he had a nickel in his pocket, it, it would, you know, burn a hole in his pocket. He, he just was not a saver. But uh, number one was start thy purse to fattening. And what he says here is, is the common advice. You probably have heard it before, but do you do it? Pay yourself first. Take 10% of your monthly income and put it in savings and keep it there. Don't touch it until it gets invested. And I think it was really when I learned about the law of attraction that I really got why this is so powerful. And it's because like attracts like. And so if you have money, it attracts more money. If every dime you make slips through your fingers just as fast as you make it, you don't have the opportunity to accumulate it, to fatten your purse. And flat out, the universe will not give money to those who can't respect it. Money is energy. Remember that. It's, it's just the representation of our life. It's our, you know, it's our life's energy that we exchange for money. And so we need to honor it and respect it. And by taking a piece of it and putting it over here, we have and accumulating it and watching it grow. It really attracts that energy to accumulate more. So no matter what it is, like put it aside and don't touch it. Number two, Control thy expenditures. 
And in this chapter, he talks about, or the section of the chapter, I should say, he talks about being very clear about needs and wants, necessities and desires. Because being broke is the price that we pay for immediate gratification. So in this vein, what you want to do, you want to budget your necessities and you only spend what's left without touching that 10%. So you've taken 10% off the top. Now you've figured out what are my necessities? How much, you know, what is food, shelter, transportation, just the bare minimum? What are the, the you know, things that I need to spend? And then whatever's left, that's what you go out to dinner, you know, with or buy clothes or whatever you have that is your want rather than your need. Uh, three, this wasn't number three. This was actually like number five in the book, but I wanted to mention this one because I think it's important. Make thy make of thy home a profitable investment. And in this section, he's really talking about owning your own home rather than renting. I know uh, the cost of housing has gone up considerably and rents are very, very high. I learned something as I was, I started to interview for the book and, and also writing articles. I came across a term I wasn't familiar with and it's called house hacking. I thought house hacking, what is house hacking? Um, Tom hates the word hacking. I won't get into that. But anyway, I realized what it was, was basically buying a property and renting it out so that it actually, your home actually generates income. Now that's sort of taking that that suggestion, making thy home a profitable investment is not just about owning where you live, but it's also uh, um, takes it to the level of being able to earn from it. And that's what we've done here with the house that we purchased. Obviously, we've turned it into a boutique hotel. So we live on the third floor and we rent out the first two floors. And so when we were trying to recover from our financial devastation, you know, we worked real hard, we created a business. We had uh, income coming in. We were, you know, ready to do something with that income. We we had fattened the purse. You know, the purse was pretty pretty empty. We fattened that purse, and we said, okay, what can we do in terms of of investing in real estate? I make my money in business. I keep my money in real estate. That piece of advice has served me well, but I didn't know where to put it. And and as I um, mentioned in the book, you know, we looked at everything from Sarasota Bradenton down to Naples and it was a million dollars and the taxes and the insurance. And I just was not comfortable living in this, you know, mansion, waterfront mansion and, and having this huge overhead that really didn't contribute to our bottom line. And so I said, if I'm going to buy something, I want to put money in my pocket. And that's when we invested in this property and we've done very well with it. It is a place where we have, taken our home and turned it into a profitable investment. And so maybe if you're in a rental situation, is it possible? I, I remember when I was going through my divorce, I uh, had decided that I would keep that home, even though it was underwater, the value had gone down. Um, we hadn't owned it for very long, uh, maybe a couple years is all, and it had actually gone down in value. The good news was I didn't have to pay my ex out. I didn't have to buy him out because there was no equity in it. I assumed the responsibility for the monthly payment. However, I was expecting to get a, a settlement to be able to cover that monthly payment. I didn't. So I ended up taking my three-bedroom home 
and I rented out two bedrooms. And so that rent from those two rooms that I rented out, along with my monthly support, was enough to cover my mortgage payment so that, because uh, I couldn't work my first year in law school, you're not allowed to work. And, and so I had, I didn't have any other income. And so that was what allowed me to get by during those years while I was in law school. What could you do in that situation? My friend Alex in uh, Cancun, he bought a five bedroom home, five bedroom, five baths. He lives in one of those rooms and he rents out the other four as an Airbnb. So he's been able to take that um, monthly mortgage payment and, and use it as leverage you know, in order to buy this home that now is generating income from him. So those are just some ideas, some tips to help you uh, think about how you might be able to navigate this situation, this inflation situation, be able to take care, uh, take control of your cash flow and be able to um, pay the price that you want to pay, not pay the price for something that you really don't want. So that's what I have for you today. I will mention the registration page is up. ParadiseRoadmap.com is available for you to go ahead and register for our next free workshop. It is going to be on Saturday, July 23rd. And it'll be from 10 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon with a little bit of a lunch break. And I hope you can join me for that. And it will be all about creating your overseas beta test. And uh, I'm really excited to, to work with you on that workshop. This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We also invite you to become part of our Overseas Life Redesign community on Circle, where you can join us live for these broadcasts. Visit opats.com. That's O-P-A-T-S dot com for details. Thank you for listening.